Yo, what's up everyone? Welcome in. Welcome current listeners, new listeners. This is episode 22 of WFS, The Will Ford Show. Promise you guys a Friday episode. It is Friday. So, looks like I am back on track here. Today, for me, is graduation day. I graduate high school today. So, pretty big day. Still hasn't really hit me yet that, you know, high school is over and I'm not going to see most of my high school friends again. But I'm sure that's all going to hit me tonight. It's going to be pretty emotional. My mom's going to be emotional. My dad doesn't really get emotional. Uh, But, yeah, it'll be a good night. But let's jump into the show. A little bit of In Case You Missed It, I See Why Am I. Uh, Sports gambling was legalized by the Supreme Court. They struck down the, I believe it was a 1992 law against sports gambling. And it was a 6-3 or 7-2 vote in the Supreme Court. Uh, But now it is legalized in all states and now it's up to the states on whether or not they want to enforce this law. Uh, And I I feel like now with this, I think sports gambling is going to become a thing within the next few years. I think it's going to be a thing in probably 25 to 30 states, at least half the country. And I think it's really going to pick up steam in the eastern part of the country, in the east. Uh, Like New Jersey, states like New Jersey, Connecticut. Because the economies in the east are are poor. They're, they're a little bit poor of economies. Uh, it's, it's sort of similar to the thing with the legalization of marijuana. Like, like states in the west are the ones that are most prominently the beneficiaries of the legalization. Like if you didn't, if you're not, if you weren't a pot smoker or marijuana smoker before legalization it's likely that you're not going to smoke it after it's legalized it's just it's just not you but if you were if you smoked it before it was legal you were you were already finding ways to obtain it obtain it illegally so when it's legalized it's not like you're going to stop you're going to keep smoking it's the same it's going to be the same thing with gambling if you were a gambler before now with this it's it's going to you're not going to stop gambling you're going to keep gambling but if you weren't a heavy gambler at all or or if you weren't a gambler the legalization of sports gambling is not going to entice you to to gamble i do have issues with the legalization of sports gambling though first of all is fan addiction. I think fans can become extremely addicted to gambling. And especially with, like with fantasy football, fantasy football they do leagues for every single sport. So sports gambling is going to become a huge thing with that. It's this problem is minor cons- uh, compared to the other problems I feel come along with this. 
but it still could be a, a problem. I think the bigger issue lies within the sports themselves, like corruption. People are going to be gambling on games, and so players could actually throw games for money. I think that could be a huge problem for for professional sports. And I think this is actually a really, really bad for the NCAA, for college athletes. Because college athletes don't get paid, and sports gambling gives people another way to make money off of the college athletes. March Madness. The people people put money in pools every year. People bet on March Madness every year, and now it's going to become a bigger thing. This is exactly why college athletes should be paid. You 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 can see a lot of. I think you're going to see a lot of corruption in the lower level. I don't think you're going to see it so much at the professional level because they're already getting paid. They don't have to worry about that. But at the college level, they're not getting paid, and they would be the ones to throw games. I think because they're going to get paid by people to do so. We've already seen corruption. In professional sports before with the referees with referees and the NBA and such but with sports gambling being legalized you're gonna I think you're gonna see a lot more corruption in college sports and we already know some D1 athletes get paid but they don't get paid for what they do they get paid to come to the college So I have some issues with this. Obviously, it's going to stimulate the economy a little bit in certain areas. But overall, I don't really like this. I, I don't like this. I think it promotes corruption. And it proves exactly why college athletes should be paid. All right, so we all know that in sports and life in general, it's all about perspective. The way, you, the way you look at things. So for legalized sports gambling, like we just said, it's, it's a way for the government to generate extra revenue. Same thing with the legalization of marijuana. It's a way for the government to generate extra revenue. But in sports, the perspective on Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant, like they're different like this year than they were last year. Last year we thought of Russ as loyal. Why? Because he stayed in Oklahoma City. And he puts up these these triple-doubles. He averages a triple-double in a season. He wins MVP. We think of him as an MVP. As the best in the league, or one of. But a year later, we think of... Wow, he drove Kevin Durant out. He's about to drive Paul George out. And he basically made Carmelo Anthony an offensive lineman. Essentially, he made he Carmelo Anthony essentially just blocked for Russell Westbrook. He was just a human, he was just a pick. Carmelo Anthony became a C minus player overnight. Overnight. 
Russell Westbrook turned Carmelo Anthony into a C-minus player. Carmelo was a B-plus, A-minus player, averaging 20, 23 points a game, somewhere in there. And in OKC, he was restricted just to a corner three-shooter, a corner specialist, and he wasn't even that good. For Carmelo to operate efficiently, he needs the ball. That's why it didn't work in OKC, because you have three ball-centric guys. Paul George needs the ball, Carmelo needs the ball, and you know dang well Russell Westbrook needs the ball. Russell Westbrook doesn't make people better. He's He focuses too much on stats and his individual accolades. He focuses way more on those than making his team better and winning. But some people think of him as loyal. And an MVP... Now with KD... We think of him as a traitor, a supervillain. Oh, he took the easy way out. He joined the best team in the league. He joined a 73-9 team. But he wins a championship a year later, and we're like, he made the right choice. Because he did. KD wanted to play more efficient basketball, take less shots, and playing an offense predicated on ball movement. You didn't have that in OKC. You still don't have that in OKC. KD made the smart winning move. It's almost the identical thing to what LeBron did when he left for Miami. He made the right move. Everybody hated him at first. He was a supervillain. But he wasn't going to win in Cleveland. It just wasn't working. The front office was poorly run. He didn't have a great collection of talent around him. And he ended up winning a few championships on Miami. Looking back, we, we realized, like, yeah, it was the right move. KD and LeBron made those moves to help themselves win. No, but we think of Russell Westbrook as this loyal hero. Russell Westbrook can't get you past the second round of the playoffs. They were far more talented than the Utah Jazz. Yet he never shows up in the fourth quarter and can't get you to the second round of the playoffs. You have Paul George, Carmelo Anthony, Stephen Adams, And you lose to Donovan Mitchell, a rookie who is sensational, by the way. I'm not taking anything away from him. But you lose to him, like what? Joe Ingles and Rudy Gobert. All very quality players, but they're nowhere near as talented as Westbrook, George, and Mello. It's all about perspective. All about perspective. Alright, so the NBA playoffs, pretty interesting, actually. Boston is up 2-0 on the Cleveland Cavaliers. And I mean, 
it's kind of surprising. A little, I predicted the Celtics in six, but I think a lot of people were surprised with how well the, the Celtics are playing against LeBron without Kyrie. I mean, these young guns for the Celtics have been balling out. LeBron was a – he was incredible in game two. He had over 40 points, had 21 in the first quarter, and that wasn't enough. Kevin Love also had like 24, and that wasn't enough to beat the Celtics. The Celtics are a far better team defensively. They're the best defensive team in the league. They have the probably the best coach in the league. And they have a great collection of players. None of them are really stars. But they play really well together and they're up and coming. I think it's pretty clear that the trade last offseason, the Kyrie trade with IT, Celtics were clear winners of that. Obviously Kyrie's hurt. But in terms of the future... The Celtics clearly won because the, the Cavs now have none of those players that they got in that trade. None. Well, they, I think they still have Zizic, but no really important players. And that Brooklyn pick turned, in, turned out to be the eighth pick, which is not very valuable at all. Celtics were clear winners of that trade. And last episode I said that, you know, Kyrie would actually be a could be a trade piece because of Terry Rozier's emergence as a potential star. But actually I I don't think obviously you could explore options. He would give you a lot of value, but I really I really wouldn't trade Kyrie Irving. I would not do it. I think you could pair him up with Rozier. Or maybe you could bring Rozier in off the bench as in the second unit. I think the real trade piece is Gordon Hayward. Obviously, no teams are going to be very... Their teams are going to be reluctant to trade for him. Just because he's coming off of a broken leg and dislocated ankle. So you're not going to get a lot of bites at first, but you have Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. I would very, I would extremely, I would, I would consider trading him and Jalen Brown for Kawhi Leonard. I think Greg Popovich would take Jalen Brown and Gordon Hayward for Kawhi Leonard. And to make salary match up, you might have to the Spurs might have to throw in like maybe Danny Green or Patty Mills. I think Greg Popovich would be all over that. Kawhi is appearing to be a somewhat of a cancer in the locker room. He doesn't want to be there. Like imagine Kyrie, Jason Tatum, Rozier, Kawhi. And Al Horford. That's and then whoever you want to put in there at the four. I don't know what your lineup's gonna be. You'd probably go Kyrie, Rozier, Tatum, Kawhi, 
Horford. Although Horford doesn't like to play the five, but I think they'd be willing to sacrifice. Maybe you bring in Rozier off the bench and put Aaron Baines at center. That would still be a great, uh, a great lineup. And even if they keep their team, even if they don't trade, I think they're set next year to be NBA champions. I really think so. They've got all the pieces they have. That They have all the pieces in place. They just need to get a couple back from injury. I th they're going to make it to the finals this year. And they could even steal a game off the Warriors. They could. Because we know the Warriors kind of go through the motions every now and then, like they did the other night against the Rockets. We'll get to that later. But, yeah, if, I think the real person that should be worried on the Celtics right now about the, the Celtics winning is Gordon Hayward. I think he he could be shipped out, and he hasn't even really done anything. And it's not fair, obviously, but it's a business. It's how it works. But I think the Spurs would definitely take him. Boston's up 2-0 in the series. Game 3 in Cleveland on Saturday. I will give this one to Cleveland. They'll be at home. They'll have the crowd behind them. LeBron is going to be sensational as always. But he's going to need help. He's going to need JR to hit some threes. Kyle Korver to hit some threes. Kevin Love has got to be on his game. Tristan Thompson's got to be active in the paint. LeBron needs some help. LeBron needs help. So I predict Cleveland to win game three, but ultimately to lose in six. It might it might be a 2-2 split after um, game three and four, but Boston's not going to lose at home. They'll win game five and possibly game six on the road. I think they'll get it done on the road. Now, Houston versus Golden State. The series is tied at one apiece. Golden State really wasn't trying in this game. They got, they got off to a slow start, and I just don't think they were interested. They seem to be on a pattern of three games off, on and one game off. That just, it's what it seems like to me. They did that in their first round series, won three in a row, lost game four then, or yeah, lost game four, won game five, and then against the Pelicans, they, they did that against the Spurs, and then against the Pelicans, they won the first two, lost one, won the next two, and then this series against Houston, won the first game, lost the second. They seem to be on a three game on, one game off, pace right now so I originally I said Houston versus Golden State in seven like Golden State wins in seven but with the way Golden State played they were going through the motions they weren't interested they were taking a break I'm gonna roll with, I'm gonna stick by my pick Golden State in seven because I think Houston can play them close but if they're playing like that and they're not really playing their their hardest out there, 
makes me feel like the, the Golden State is clearly, like, clearly the better team and could beat them in five games. That's what it feels like if they stick to this three-game-on, one-game-off pace. Sorry about the noise in the background that my dad is mowing outside. Um, but anyways, I still think Houston can play them close. If they play the way they normally play like they did in the regular season, I think they can play them close and, and win some games. I really do. But game two was very odd because they weren't playing you know, full speed. They, they seemed kind of lackadaisical. Weren't really engaged. It makes me feel like that Golden State could just obliterate them. And Golden State, I think, has to be the. They, they are the greatest team of all time, in my opinion. The, the collection of talent is just unbelievable. Steph Curry is the greatest shooter, hands down, all time. Clay Thompson is a top five shooter all time. They are the best shooting backcourt in NBA history. Draymond Green is an excellent anchor who brings a lot of grit to the team. And Kevin Durant might be the best scorer in NBA history. I wouldn't put him at the best. I think Kevin Durant is probably the second greatest scorer in NBA history. I would put Kareem at number one just because he had the most unguardable shot in the history of the NBA, the, the skyhook. Just absolutely unguardable. And the longevity of Kareem was incredible. But Kevin Durant is extremely versatile as a scorer. He can score from anywhere on the floor. He can pull up from three, shoot it from anywhere on the court. Excellent mid-range and can really get to the hole. He can finish at the rim. He can post you up. He can shoot the mid-range and hit from three. Really, anywhere, once he crosses half court, he's a threat to shoot the ball. He is he I he is the most versatile scorer of all time, but I don't think he's the greatest scorer of all time. I would put him at two behind Kareem. But man, that team is hands down better than the '96 Bulls team and like the '85 Lakers team. Like if you match it up, who's gonna guard Steph Curry? Who's going to guard Kevin? Kevin Durant is probably going to be guarded by Scottie Pippen, I would think. Pippen was a pretty good defensive player. I, he can't stop KD, obviously, but I think he would... You'd have to match him up on him. Clay Thompson... Michael Jordan's either going to guard Clay Thompson or Steph Curry. I think he'll probably put him on... I think he's going to put him on Clay because Clay is a very good two-way player. He can drive to the hole, pull up mid-range... And hit and hit the three from anywhere. Draymond Green is going to get guarded by Rodman. Then Rodman and Draymond Green are are just the same player. 
just from different eras. But they are the exact same player. They play the exact same way. They have the same grit about them. They get under people's skin. That's a perfect matchup. I don't know who's going to guard Steph Curry, though. You, The Warriors are too good of a shooting team to be able to guard them and beat them. Not only are they a great shooting team, but they play excellent defense. And they can score from anywhere. Like the four ingredients I said you needed to win a championship, you need superstars. They have four of them. You need great coaching. Steve Kerr, top five coach in the league. You need three-point shooting. And they've got the greatest shooters of all time on their team. And you need intelligence, and they're all extremely smart players. And they know when to take a break. They know when to catch a break. They pick and choose their spots. That just shows their intelligence. They know what they're doing. They know exactly what they're doing. They are the greatest team of all time. I just don't think you can guard them. You cannot beat them four times in a seven-game series. You just can't. And with the Lakers team from the 80s, are you going to put James Worthy on Durant? I I don't know if you're going to put Kareem on Draymond. I, that's a very that's a mismatch. I give the edge to Kareem there. But can Draymond get under Kareem's skin? Are you going to put Magic Johnson, who's 6'10", on Steph Curry? I don't know if Magic Johnson can keep up with Steph Curry. Is Byron Scott going to guard Clay Thompson? I don't know how you're going to match that up. It's just a matchup nightmare. Literally, Steph Curry can have a bad night, and they will still win because Clay Thompson's hitting threes, or Durant's scoring 37 points, Draymond's getting a triple-double, Sean Livingston can have a good game off the bench, Andre Iguodala can have a good game off the bench, Nick Young can hit some threes. It's... You're in the quandary. when You, you have no idea what to do against them. You can't key in on one player because the other uh, someone else will do something. It's the greatest team of all time. You can't guard them. The only team I think that actually I would give a shot is the Lakers from the 2000s, the 2000, 2001, 2002 teams. Like Shaq, Shaq's probably not going to guard Draymond, but Robert Horry on Draymond. That would be a good matchup. Robert Horry is an excellent three-point shooter. He was pretty good defensively. I think they would. Him and Draymond could go at it. Kobe is going to take Steph Curry, and Kobe was a great defender. And Derek Fisher was a was a great defender, a great all-around point guard. Put him on Clay Thompson. I believe they're 
their small forward at the time was Rick Fox. <sighs> Rick Fox on Kevin Durant. I mean, that's... You might have to put Kobe on Kevin Durant. Either way, it's still a mismatch. That's a nightmare. But I think I would give the like the 0-1 Lakers the best chance to beat the Golden State Warriors in a seven-game series. I don't think they'll do it, but I think they could push it to six games. The Bulls probably to five, and the Lakers from the 80s probably to five. But the 0-1 Lakers, I think, could push to six or seven. Now, the Miami Heat from 2012, like that that team, I still think they lose. They lose too. LeBron will be on KD, but again, no one can guard KD, and LeBron's not a, not a great defensive player. Chris Bosh on Draymond, that's, I guess you can say that's even. I'd probably rather Draymond just from a pure impact standpoint. He can impact the game in multiple facets, and Chris Bosh can really only shoot and play on the offensive end. Um, Dwayne Wade's probably going to have to guard Clay. That leaves Steph Curry being guarded by Mario Chalmers. I just don't see how that's going to work. The Miami Heat team was a great shooting team, though. They had some great shooters. So they'd be able to hang around for a while, but I just don't think they would win. I still, I, the 0-1 Lakers, I think, has the best chance. Now, going back to James Harden, we're going to go back to James Harden and the Rockets a little bit. Uh, game 2, James Harden was horrible. Now, everybody's saying James Harden's the MVP. Well, the Rockets this year, without James Harden, have been pretty good. And James Harden's five worst shooting games are 5-0. and oh. I believe that's including last night. He shot like 3 for 15, not last night, but the other night. He shot 3 for 15 from 3, like 9 for 24 from the field. Ended up with 27 points still. But he was terrible. It was horrible. And they still they still won, obviously, but Golden State wasn't checked in. If they were engaged, the Rockets would have gotten beat by 10 plus. Russell Westbrook or James Harden in the playoffs is very similar to Russell Westbrook. Like James Harden in regular season is great. He actually moves the ball, he shares it. He plays the role of point guard pretty well. Excellent scorer. Can't play a lick of defense. But in the playoffs, James Harden kind of reverts back to a isocentric state. He, he really relies on the isolation game more so than how he played in the regular season. And Russell Westbrook plays the exact same way. Very isocentric. Really plays the isolation game. Does not move the ball. Gets a ton of assists, but it's because he's padding his stats. He shoots like like game six 
of the, uh, I believe that that series went to six against the Jazz. The final game of that series, Russ shot like 43 shots. Carmelo Anthony, I don't think, scored a single point. And Paul George had less than half of the shooting attempts that Westbrook did. Bet Russell Westbrook still had a triple-double, though. There's your MVP. There's your Mr. Triple-Double MVP. Oh, he averages a triple-double every season. That's great. Where's the wins? Where's the second round of the playoffs? Where's the Western Conference Finals? If you're so great, you should be making it to the second round of the playoffs. Too talented of a team. And that's what James Harden is kind of reverting to. James Harden's kind of reverting to isolation ball. He's not moving the ball. Like, when they have a possession, 24 seconds on the shot clock, I guarantee you no one else touches the ball during that possession until there's like five or six seconds on the shot clock. That means he's touching the ball. He's holding the ball for 18 seconds out of the 24. And that is far too long. For them to win the series, the, the offense needs to run through Chris Paul. Chris Paul needs to get the ball moving, get guys moving without the ball. And if they can do that, and, I, and it's really hard to do against the, the, this Warriors team because the Warriors play such great defense and they switch everything. When you switch everything, it opens up these one-on-one -on -one opportunities. So it's hard to not go ISO. But instead of running pick and rolls, they just need to keep the ball moving and set screens away from the ball. That's what they need to do in order to have a chance in this series. And James Harden needs to get out of the ISO mentality. All right. So... The draft lottery was a few nights ago, and next episode, I'm going to go through the whole lottery, and I'm actually going to give a mock draft, my first NBA mock draft, and I'm, I'm going to research on that, see team needs, and things like that. So next week, there will be an NBA mock draft. Of the just the lottery, but I think the lottery and LeBron are very closely related. I think LeBron's chances of staying in Cleveland just went down after the lottery. Like pre draft lottery, I'll give you some percentages of what I think LeBron will do in the offseason. Like if he goes to another team, stays in Cleveland, or Whatever. Pre-draft lottery, I think LeBron's chances of staying in Cleveland were about 40%. I give 50% of him going to the Lakers, and then 10% another team, whether it be Houston, Philly, San Antonio, wherever. If their Brooklyn the the pick the Brooklyn pick that they received was a top three pick. I think 
the chances the chances he stayed with the Cavs were would be 50%, 40% him going to the Lakers, and then 10% other. But then after the lottery, the pick stood at eight. So at number eight, I think the chances go down about 10%. He's about 30% chance he stays with the Cavs. 60% chance he goes to the Lakers. And then 10% other. I really think the Lakers and the Cavs are his top two teams. I really don't think he's going to go to Philly. I don't think he's going to go to Houston. I don't think he's going to go to San Antonio. The reason why I don't think he's going to stay in Cleveland is because they don't have any valuable trade assets. No one is valuable enough to get enough in return. And this draft is a deep draft. But I don't think LeBron is going to be willing to play with a young rookie. I don't think a young rookie is going to help them win right away. He's going to want to join a team that can win quicker. He's not. I don't think LeBron would work in Philadelphia because Ben Simmons and LeBron are very, they're two ball-centric players. They need the ball. They're very similar in their play style in that they're excellent passers and they run the point for their team. They're basically point guards. And I think LeBron on that team would stunt Ben Simmons' growth and it would kind of render Ben Simmons essentially useless because he can't shoot and he needs the ball to be effective. He needs the ball to be able to get guys involved and it gets him going. He can attack the rim with the ball. I don't see it working out from a basketball perspective, him in Philadelphia. Uh, the Rockets, the Rockets probably could give him the best chance to win a championship immediately because you'd have Harden, CP3, and LeBron. But the thing is, to, in order to sign LeBron, he's going to want at least $30 million. Unless he if, unless he takes a massive pay cut, I don't foresee that. But if he went there, your bench is going to be nothing. It's going to be completely depleted. And I don't think that's going to be enough to compete with the, with the Warriors. It obviously gives them a better chance, but... It's still not even going to be enough. The like that big three matches up a lot better with the Warriors, but the the Warriors are far deeper. So my prediction is, unless the Cavs miraculously won the title this year, which I don't foresee that, they could reach the finals. I think I think they're losing this series though. In six, LeBron, I think, is going to be signed with the Lakers. And I think there are multiple pros to signing with the Lakers. One, they have, they have a ton of cap space and enough cap space to bring in another superstar 
with LeBron, whether it be a Paul George or someone else. I think Paul George is the most likely person to sign with LeBron. But you bring in LeBron and Paul George. You have Lonzo Ball running the point, which that's kind of similar to a Ben Simmons situation, but Lonzo can actually shoot. So Lonzo and LeBron can actually play off of each other. They can both share the ball handling responsibility, get guys involved, and LeBron can hit Lonzo in the in the corner for threes. Lonzo can also so throw some lobs to LeBron. I think that would work out pretty well. That would work out a lot better than Ben Simmons and LeBron. And then of course you have Paul George. Uh, if they if they manage to keep Julius Randle. That's an excellent guy to have. I don't think they would be able to keep him. They may have to renounce to his rights. But then you have Kyle Kuzma, who's an excellent, excellent player, a huge threat on the outside, but can also drive to the hole, play defense. He is great. Uh, at center, I don't know what the Lakers want to do. I know there's been circulation of some talks about like trading for DeAndre Jordan. I personally wouldn't do that because that's going to eat up a ton of cap and you wouldn't be able to get a Paul George, I don't think. LeBron might want to play with DeAndre Jordan, but I would much rather have Paul George than DeAndre Jordan. So center could be a question if they bring back Brooke Lopez on a cheaper deal. That could work out. Maybe they bring in their young center, Avika Zubac. Um, I think the starting lineup of that team, it'd be Lonzo. Probably Lonzo. Maybe Josh Hart at the two. Paul George, LeBron, and then whoever you want to put at center. Probably... Unless you want to go small, you could put like, you could put Kuzma at the five and go small, or you could put Zubach, or if you still have Randall, put Randall there. Yeah, I, I, I don't know, but that would be an excellent team, and I think that would be a team that is far more ready to win. They would have a better bench than the Rockets would. I I think it's going to be LeBron heading to the Lakers here this offseason. Unless, of course, they win the title, which won't happen. All right. So the NBA awards, they, uh, that, do they, I think they announced the awards after the, after the season's completely over, after the playoffs. I think. Uh, but I thought they already did Coach of the Year. When Dwayne Casey was fired, I thought he was already named Coach of the Year. So I was wrong on that. He must have been a Coach of the Year previously. But the finalists for Coach of the Year are Quinn Snyder from the Utah Jazz, who's an excellent young coach. Brad Stevens, who is, I think, the best coach in the league. And... Of course, Dwayne Casey. Um, my vote for this, this is who I, I'm not going to predict who they are. I think it's 
my prediction, or not, okay, I'm, like I just said, I'm not predicting. Uh, my vote for Coach of the Year is Brad Stevens. Uh, what he's done without Gordon Hayward and without Kyrie for the last part of the season and the playoffs has been incredible. He's up 2-0 on LeBron in the Eastern Conference Finals. Two games away from a berth to the finals, where obviously they'll get they'll get slashed by the Warriors. But Brad Stevens has done an excellent job with the Celtics. Best defensive coach in the league, and has really managed his talent very very well. Most valuable player. My vote's LeBron James. He is a finalist along with Anthony Davis and James Harden. James Harden's going to win it. But it should be LeBron. LeBron is better in every single statistical category than James Harden is this year. Points, rebounds, assists, steals, blocks, field goal percentage. Just... He's far better in every category. Like, James Harden doesn't even lead his team in rebounds or assists. LeBron does every year for the Cleveland Cavaliers. MVP, by far, LeBron James, in my book. Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, the Defensive Player of the Year candidates are Rudy Gobert, Anthony Davis, Anthony Davis is up for two awards, and I believe, is it Draymond Green? No, it is Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid, Anthony Davis, and Rudy Gobert. Anthony Davis, I think, is a more all-around player. Great offensively. Defensively, he's good too, but I think he's more of an all-around player. Joel Embiid is out 30 games a year with an injury. He's not very durable. Great when he's on the floor, but he's just not very durable. I can't give a guy an award who only plays 50 games out of the year. Rudy Gobert, not very great on offense. He misses some bunnies, but he's an absolute anchor on defense. I would give the Defensive Player of the Year Award to Rudy Gobert. Uh, the Most Improved Player. Let's see. The finalists, Victor Oladipo, I believe, Spencer Dinwiddie, yes, Victor Oladipo, Spencer Dinwiddie, and Clint Capella. Clint Capella has actually improved a lot this year, playing with Chris Paul and James Harden. It's kind of like a big three over there. Um, Spencer Dinwiddie, I Brooklyn's trash, so I don't really know about that. Victor Oladipo, though, has been incredible. He averaged 16 points a game in Oklahoma City last year, and he's averaging over 23 this year. He's doubled his assist total. 
Rebounds are up. Efficiency is up. And you know what's funny about that is last year he was playing with Russell Westbrook. And you would think, you know, Oladipo's efficiency and and stats would be slightly elevated because, you know, you have to have two eyes on, you have to have four eyes on Russell Westbrook at all times, right? And then you would also think that his numbers would dip in Indiana because he's going to be the go-to guy. His shooting percentage would be down. Scoring would likely be up, but his his shooting percentage is going to be down. His efficiency will be down. No, it was actually quite the opposite. Like I said, Russell Westbrook doesn't make anybody better. He holds people back. Russell Westbrook will forever be, unless the Thunder trade him or he leaves eventually, he will always be their best player and their biggest liability. Victor Oladipo exploded this year because he was given a chance to shine on his own. Russell Westbrook was holding him back. By far, Victor Oladipo for most improved player. For rookie of the year, the finalists are Jason Tatum, Donovan Mitchell, and Ben Simmons. Uh, I wouldn't give it to, like, people would say, oh, it's got to be Jason Tatum. He's the only one left in the playoffs. Well, this is a regular season award. So you can't give it to someone based on how far they got in the playoffs. Um, Jason Tatum's a great player, and he is going to be a star. He's already better than Gordon Hayward, in my opinion. I don't like that Ben Simmons is in this category just because he's technically he is a rookie by definition, but technically he's not. He's had a year in the league, even though he didn't play. He still knows the lingo, the way things go. So it's gonna be Ben Simmons. I think, but my vote, I would vote for Donovan Mitchell. And then finally, sixth man of the year. The finalists are Eric Gordon, Lou Williams, and Fred Van Vliet. Um, I wouldn't give it to Fred Van Vliet. Uh, Lou Williams wins it just about every year. And he's a juggernaut, juggernaut off the bench. But Eric Gordon, I think, is a sixth man of the year. He would definitely get my vote. Averaging, he's averaging quite a bit of points per game considering he's playing with Chris Paul and James Harden. I think he was averaging 18 a game. And on a team like that, or you have superstars, I think it's important to have a guy who can come in off the bench and keep the offensive production going when they're out. So Eric Gordon gets my vote for the sixth man of the year. All right, guys, that's it for me. Uh, make sure you follow the show. 
on Twitter at the Will Ford Show. Rate and review this show on iTunes and SoundCloud. Give me a like. Drop a comment on this episode. Give me some feedback. I want to improve. Let me know what topics you guys want me to talk about. But thank you for listening, guys. We'll see you next week at WFS. We were underground, loading merch in that 12-passenger van in a small club in Minnesota and the snow outside of first half. I just wanted my name in the star. Now look at where we at, still growing up. Still growing up. I would lay in my bed and dream about what I'd become. Couldn't wait to get older. Couldn't wait to be some. Now that I'm here, wishing I was still young. Wish I didn't drink all of that blast first Wish I made it to homecoming Got up the courage to ask her Wish I would've gotten out of my show Wish I put the bottle back on that shelf Wish I wouldn't have worried about what other people thought I felt comfortable with myself Rooftop open And the stars above Moment frozen sneaking out and falling in love Me, you and that futon We just begun On the grass streaming Figuring out who I was Those good old So young, maybe you always look back and think it was better than it was. Maybe these are the moments. Maybe I've been missing what it's about. Been scared of the future, thinking about the past while missing out on now. We've come so far. I guess I'm proud. And night worried about the wrinkles around my smile. I got some scars. I've been around. I felt some pain, I've seen some things, but I'm here now. Those good old things. You don't know what you got Till it goes, till it's gone You don't know what you got Till it goes, till it's gone Yeah.